I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grayson. Today's episode is brought to you by you. Uh, We're still early on in this first season, so luckily for you, there are no sponsors yet to fill up this space, but I do want to take a moment to thank you because it's your downloads, it's your support, your time spent listening that are giving me so much excitement and momentum around the work I'm doing and also the fast-growing community that we're hopefully building here. So, wow, do I have an absolutely delightful guest for you today. Um, One of the perhaps wisest and loveliest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. His name is Jim Robertson, and he is an Aboriginal skills and wilderness survival instructor based in Santa Monica, California, where he's also been a volunteer naturalist for the Santa Monica Mountains for over a decade. In case you didn't know it, uh, the Santa Monica Mountains are actually a national recreation area right here in Los Angeles. So more on that interview in a moment, but I first want to share what's been going on with me these past couple of weeks because they have been uh, pretty crazy, to say the least. By now, I'm sure you've seen the news about the horrible fires here in Los Angeles and also north of us throughout Southern California. More than 150,000 people here in LA have been evacuated. The devastation is, as you can imagine, just horrible. Um we're okay for the time being. We live about four miles from the evacuation zone. Pretty much every school to the north and west of us is shut down. Um, But you know, the air quality is just horrible as you can imagine, which is why I sound pretty sniffly right now. Um, And we may just head out of here this weekend if the fires don't reach some sort of containment because aside from not being able to go outside and aside from being super cooped up and my kids bouncing off the walls. It's just not healthy for us to be breathing in all of the chemicals that are being released from these burning structures and, you know, God knows what else is in the air. So that's what's going on this week. Last week, you're not going to believe this, but we had to evacuate our home in the middle of the night because of what we thought at the time was a massive gas leak that affected pretty much all of West Los Angeles. It turned out to be a spill at a nearby facility of the natural gas odorant. That's, so that's the chemical that's added to um, what is normally odorless natural gas so that you can actually detect a leak. But of course, I you know I didn't know that at the time when I woke up in the middle of the night and smelled it. And um, no one in my neighborhood knew that. And the thousands of people who called and tried to get through to 911, no one could get through. And so we wound up on Twitter trying to get answers. And then, you know... I, we just ended up throwing our kids in the car in their PJs. I grabbed like my bag and that was it. And we headed to the other side of town. So it has been an adrenaline filled couple of weeks. I've been doing a lot of thinking about emergency situations and how, you know, and I hope you don't take what I'm going to say the wrong way, because obviously the fires in LA are horrible. No one wants people to die, to lose their homes. Um, But the truth is, once you know that you're okay in an emergency situation, it's actually kind of exciting. Um, And the truth is, I thrive on this kind of excitement. And a lot of people do. And I think it's because 
you know, aside from the fact that these emergencies disrupt our everyday lives, which can often be mundane and our everyday routines, um, I think it's because that we as human beings are physiologically hardwired to respond to these types of stresses. It's our adrenaline. It's the fight or the fight or flight response that served us well when we were hunting animals or escaping from dangerous animals or fighting hostile tribes or escaping from fires from danger. This is what we are biologically primed for. And instead in the modern world, you know, we very rarely have to utilize this innate fight or flight response. And instead, what we are subject to is really just a constant barrage. And this is, you know, the the subject of a lot of scientific studies as of late. Um, we're subject to this chronic barrage of low-grade chronic stress. Um, being stuck in traffic every day, having to work multiple jobs, sitting at a desk and answering hundreds of emails, um, dealing with crying kids who themselves are chronically stressed because they don't have access to the outdoors or they're just, you know, parked in front of an iPad. And so when we find ourselves in a true emergency situation, like I've been in these past two weeks, it's almost like a biological wake-up call. Like, uh, oh yeah, like this is what my body was designed to deal with. And The other interesting part of these disasters is that, you know, hopefully once you're okay in the midst of these disasters, you find that your life has been stripped down to only the things that really matter. Um, The clothes on your back, a meal, your family, your loved ones. Last week when the gas bill happened, um, we went to my brother and sister-in-law's apartment, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's apartment in the middle of the night. And I bunked up with my girls in their guest room. My husband slept on the couch. We Before that, we all stayed up for a little while. Uh, we, have, of course, had some whiskey. Not the girls. Um, the grownups did. We hung out. And the truth is, we, were, we had a lot of fun. And before that happened, even though they live really only a couple miles away, we hadn't spent time together like that in months. And so that's another critical part of our human existence that's missing for so many of us in the modern day world which is that daily interaction with family that for a lot of us only happens during emergency situations, which is sad, and we need that. But the problem is a lot of us don't know that we need that Um, or, you know, what we need at all. And uh, we, I would say, as a modern species are just unhappy and unfulfilled and often physically ill, which... I think really is the perfect segue for today's episode with Aboriginal skills instructor Jim Robertson, who has a lot to say here about how we can tap into that guiding voice, what he calls here indistractable attention, so that we can live deeper and fuller lives, not only during catastrophic situations, but hopefully all the time. Um, Jim was born in 1939. He is just such an awesome guy with such a fascinating life story that he unfolds here. And he has really just an unbelievably positive way of seeing the world. And I don't mean that in a hokey way. I mean that in a truly, sincerely positive, inspiring way. Um, That's so compelling. I promise that whatever you are dealing with in your life right now, you will feel so uplifted and so inspired by his story, by his work, by the depth of what he was willing to share here. Um, 
you're, you know, you're also just going to be really entertained too, because it's not all like, it's not like a super serious podcast. He's also just one of those (laughs) delightful speakers where you can't wait to hear what he's going to say next. So, all right, that's enough blabbing from me. Um, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jim as much as I did. And I will see you next Monday, hopefully after, you know, all the emergencies have died down um, (laughs) with a new episode of the Uncivilized podcast. Jim Robertson has been an instructor of Aboriginal skills and wilderness survival training for over a decade. Born in Oakland, California in 1939, he became an avid explorer of the wild spaces in the foothills that began just behind his backyard fence by the time he was five. After a later childhood spent skin diving, spearfishing, hunting and surfing in La Jolla and then Santa Monica, California, he went on to have what I would best describe as a rich diversity of life experience, winning a contract to play professional baseball, serving in the military, working as one of the fastest bartenders in LA, becoming a father and running a successful insurance business, training as a yoga instructor, and then becoming a therapeutic body worker, certified nutritional counselor, and hypnotherapist. But it was 18 years ago in 1996 that Jim found out about Aboriginal Skills Schools and felt his homecoming. Now also a volunteer naturalist for the Santa Monica Mountains, the skills Jim teaches help people to connect in a deep, meaningful, fun, and personal way with their natural environment and themselves. He finds that the practice of Aboriginal skills and the deep-rooted connection and relationship it fosters with our Mother Earth is just what we all need for a healthy, happy life. Jim, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jennifer. My great pleasure. Jim, what would you, as a man in your 20s, have thought if someone had come back from the future and told you that you would one day be teaching Aboriginal skills to city folk in Los Angeles? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I would have been taken aback. Uh, I wouldn't have known what they were talking about, to be honest with you. And so you didn't come to it until you were in your 50s, right? Well, in the sense of, it's like, it's something that I recognize as something that's innate in all of us from the beginning. And that's why I feel like it's so necessary that we reconnect, because it's something that's been ignored or suppressed. And just, that, that's what I mean. That's why there was some confusion when you asked me, what would I have thought if they asked me when I was in my like my early 20s, because by that time I was so conditioned to think about, oh, um, status or, you know, um, quote, professional occupation and, and things in those more, more contemporary terms. Whereas growing up, starting as a kid, it, I, I just knew it was so natural. I just loved it. I just loved being there. I loved the plants. I loved everything about it. I loved the things we did. We did a lot of primitive things like the shelter building and, and various things like that, making things out in nature. But uh, when I actually, it wasn't until, uh, like I said, my Sometime in my 50s when I realized uh, I I was a naturalist, I became a naturalist for the Santa Monica Mountains, a volunteer, and they had a a library. And that's when I started finding books. I thought, holy moly, there are actually books on this, you know. And So I started reading the books, and then I started going to the schools all over the country, you know, from Canada to Mexico. 
mostly on the west side of the Rockies, and got tuned in and tuned up. And even then, I wasn't thinking of teaching myself, but I was doing it so much that people started saying, hey, Jim, you're doing this so much. Why don't you start teaching? Why don't you become an instructor? And I thought, well, really? Really? I didn't feel qualified. But after about 10 years of practicing, then I finally felt like, yes, I, I really stood. I really want to share this stuff. It's so incredibly valuable. So that that's kind of answering your question, I guess. Yeah. So what, But what made you decide to become a, a naturalist for the Santa Monica Mountains to begin with? Was there something in your life that you just led you to seek more nature, or what, what led you to that? I feel like there's always been, and there always is for all of us, like a gnawing. If we're not paying attention to what's really important to us, we're going to have some kind of a stress happening. Oops. In my case, it was a lot of things, but to get to the more current aspect of it, I was going through some kind of an incredible uh, health challenge, and a friend recommended that I see a particular uh, psychic that they really enjoyed, and um, other women friends. I found this to be, it seemed more popular going to a psychic with with women friends and men friends, and I I kind of poo-pooed this kind of thing. I, I think I was, what, in my... Where was I? Somewhere in my 50s, I guess. Anyway, I thought, well, what the heck? I'm open-minded. Don't be so judgmental about this going. And and I saw this lady, and I can tell you it was a very interesting uh, event. But one of the main things that I really got out of it, she said, Jim, what you need is more time in nature. And I said, well, what do you mean? I, I go to the beach every day. I, I take my surfboard. I catch a couple of waves, and I come back, take a shower, and get back to work. She said, oh, well, that's good, but I don't mean that. I mean where it's green, like up in the mountains, and more animals and plants and things like that. So I took her up on her advice there, and it was just so soothing. And over time, I'd spend – I'd go out there sometimes – in the early morning and not come back till the evening just by myself. And almost every day of the week I did it. Like, like it was like taking medicine and I come to realize it is medicine. And it just was so soothing and grounding. And after several years of doing this, I, I just got this, this nagging again, this urge in the gut that was like, I wanted to do something with this. And I always wanted to work with kids so, uh, lo and behold, I find myself in a Whole Foods market, and behind the, the deli counter was an old friend, and I said, hey, what's up? And he said, well, hey, you know, I'm just having a blast. Um, I'm a volunteer naturalist for the Santa Monica Mountains, and uh, I work with kids, and I take them out on the trail and teach them things. So I said, man, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So uh, he gave me the contact info, and I signed up, went through the trainings, and that's what I've been doing for the last, I guess it was since 2001. Um, so that's that's how I became a, a naturalist with the Santa Monica Mountains. That's amazing. And so what and what happened with your health problems, and what what were your health problems, if you don't mind me asking? Oh man, I think it was uh, I think it was overload because I was raising my two kids by myself. I had a house out in the valley, and that was when I was 
really working my butt off doing doing uh, body work, healing energy work, and and uh, so I was doing that, and then I was taking classes at uh, at a spiritual center, doing the house projects, taking care of the kids, and I think thing. Oh, and then of course I was separated from uh, my my wife, my ex-wife at the time, and there was a lot of emotional trauma going on there, uh, dealing with a lot of stuff. And and I think maybe the, the final straw that put me over the edge was that there was a speaker at this uh, one of the places where I was doing my, my body therapy work. And this guy was incredibly strong, and he he just ate oranges most of the time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> pretty pumped up guy. It looked almost like a football player. And um, I started. I thought, yeah, I want to do that. That sounds fantastic. I'm always open to what seems really healthy and something, you know, really productive. And I I was used to eating really big, hearty breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I was really trimming down, and with all this work I was doing and things going on, it might have been one of the final straws that just kind of stressed me to the point where, wow, it was like I felt like I was going crazy. I was just totally stressed. The adrenaline must have been pumping like crazy, and um, I've never had anything like this happen to me before. I it was so intense, not only physical pain, but mental and emotional pain and i figured i can handle the physical part but the mental emotional part feeling like i was going nuts it's it's like i had a couple of um, firearms in the house and i knew i had to get them away because it was too tempting i to just blow my brains out you know the beautiful part of this one of the beautiful parts of this jennifer is that i always recognize i didn't ever lose sight of this our core, our essence, regardless of the pain, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, or the combination like I had, super intense, that that there was always this place within that was calm and had peace. And uh, so that, that was what I gleaned from this. What I really gained, the great jewel in this whole painful experience that went on for years, I'm telling you, was compassion. I thought I was a compassionate guy to begin with, which I was, you know, to a degree, to a large degree. But I mean, this took me to a place that I feel like I really needed to be because, I mean, I just see people, I see everything differently now. And that's what I mean about undistractable attention. This is where I want to be. And I'm not contending or suggesting that people need to have this but maybe some of us do, and I got what I needed, and I valued that. I never want to lose what I've learned, but it, but it's practice. I, I find it's, hey, we don't gain something. We can't rest on our laurels in any way. we got to keep going and keep it up and keep everything sharp and tuned up and tuned in. And when we get busy, super busy in our day, I realize I can always get up and go sit down and close my eyes for 30 seconds or a minute, or whatever, and get reset. It's like resetting the thermostat. I do that, I do that, I do that throughout the day. And um, that's what that experience, and I contend that this can be done 
with any experience. There is no exception to this rule. You know, we can get knocked off balance. I mean, I do, and I forget a lot, but I get back on track a lot. And the, and the time that it takes me to get back on track is much, much quicker than what it used to be. And it just gets better and better. And you know what? Life gets better. Life becomes more meaningful, more purposeful all the time. It's just phenomenal. And I'm still going to have pain. Yeah, I still have pain sometimes. Uh, physical, mental, emotional, all of it. But not, not like that intensity. That was so intense. Can you imagine? I did this when I was a little kid. I stuck my finger in an electrical outlet, and I was playing with radio wires, and I'd get that big jolt that would make my arm ache. Wait, you, you would do this on purpose, or you did it once as an accident? Just experimenting. It more than <laughs> once. It was accidental, you know? Yeah, life before all those, you know, plastic outlet <laughs> covers that parents raced to put around the room. It's like... Oh, the parents weren't around. Parents you know, weren't around. But parents weren't around when I was a kid. Yeah, sometimes you just got to learn. You know, life teaches us. And finally, I stopped doing that. But man, it would jolt my arm and make me numb. It would ache, and it's not fun. Can you imagine that constantly happening, where your 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 head is like like it's like an electrical, and so much that it gives you a headache, and your body is just like vibrating all the time. But it doesn't look that way to people. Like nobody knew what was going on with me. I, I went, I saw psychiatrists, I saw medical doctors, everything, um, at least uh, medically, was perfect so far as they were concerned. The psychiatrists gave me some medications and I took them for a little while and I went, oh man, I don't want this. So I just uh, gave it the time and it was just hoping that I would live because I wanted to live. Yeah, I really wanted to live and not only live, but I wanted to value the time I was having right now. It's always now in the pain. I wanted to value and um, and it went on for at least 10 years. And I, I read a one friend gave me a book. It was uh, it was one of those Gail Sheehy passages book. I don't and, know. the I don't know that book. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Apparently, she wrote a bunch of books after, but it was, I think it was her first book titled Passages. She's a psychiatrist, and she explained so many things. It just really helped give me a handle and helped me hold myself together about how nerves can become so stressed that, you know, they, they fire and then they, they, they fire and then they, they release and then they relax or they relax and they release or whatever. But Apparently, when they become so stressed, they just stay on. It's like they can't shut off anymore. It's like they're exhausted. And apparently, this really does just wipes out your adrenals, too. Like that psychi the um, psychist, <laughs> the psychic that I saw, yeah. <laughs> she said, oh, your adrenals are shot. They're just so shot. You know, she just held my hand. And when she took my hand, she said something that I thought was interesting. She said, oh, my God. She said, you are so sensitive. <laughs> she said, I thought I was sensitive. She said, this is amazing. She said, you must feel everything, don't you? And I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I be yeah, so. evidently. <laughs> you know, but some of us, you know, I used to even think, oh, maybe I'm too sensitive. Or, you know, you hear so much about people being too sensitive. <clears throat> but I've done a 180 on that. I don't think there's anything better than being as sensitive as we can possibly be. 
because we want to feel deeply, we want to see deeply, we want to hear deeply, we want to live more deeply and more fully. So that's what sensitivity will do for us. So I don't think of it as a negative. Like everything, we have the opportunity to to um, make lemonade out of the lemon. Yeah, it's so you know, it's so interesting hearing you talk about how you came to this place, having experienced this pain and these health issues, because the way I sort of found myself coming to this world of, you know, rediscovering our connection to the natural world and how it was missing from modern life is because I had serious health problems, too. Although mine didn't manifest quite like yours, but I, I had serious thyroid issues that ended up having, you know, those adrenal issues. And, and yeah, it just that experience really opened my eyes to just like the simplest things that we're missing in our day to day life. And why were you so open to to learning about all these things and to really looking for the root of your problems when so many people are so quick, especially in our modern world to, you know, just take that medicine, like that psychiatrist tried to give you? Yeah, well, for one part of it was that I recognized I was in a beautiful place, you know, that that's the priority. I was there. And this actually allowed me to focus on that. When you say beautiful place, do you mean actually like living in Los Angeles in a beautiful natural setting? I mean, within. Oh, within. Okay. This center, this core place, recognizing the part of me that cannot be harmed. Oh, and this reminds me of that movie. I saw this way after my event. The, uh, what's it called? The Shawshank Redemption? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. That's the guy that was totally abused, but he was ex- trying to explain to, what was the black actor's name? Well, Shawshank is the movie about, you know, yeah. Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins. When right. Prison. Yeah, Morgan yeah. Freeman. Yeah, he was trying to explain to Morgan Freeman that Morgan Freeman was asking him, how did you... How did you make it through this? And he said, "Well, there's a place." He tried. He explained to him, "There's a place within that cannot be harmed." And I said, "Well, so right on. I, I experienced that. So now I have my experience. I can tell other people about this." But well, I can tell you, the way I see it, Jennifer, is it is innate, and we are all aware. We all have this awareness. It's just do we want to pay attention to it? So anyway, I had this in me, this awareness. So that, that's what I mean by even when I was going through the intense pain, I knew I was in a good place. I knew the most important part of me. I mean, I lost like 40 pounds like that in about two weeks. Some people, they would see me, friends, they would like avoid me. It's like, like uh, uh, you know, all my body work, I lost clients. Like they, they thought I had AIDS or something and that I might maybe get them sick, I guess, is what they were thinking. And then I had some really reliable friends who didn't make any difference to them. They were just steady right on through. But uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, I was conditioned uh, early, you know, my my folks, especially my dad, he had a good open attitude about life, you know, and spirituality he didn't go to church or anything like that, but he was kind of a spiritually oriented guy. And I picked up on that. And in prior to uh, my getting in the insurance business and then the body work and all of that stuff, uh, I was trained to be a, a yoga instructor. And I was very involved with that organization for about maybe five to seven years. But then I, when I did finally leave, I uh, took the essence 
the core of what, you know, everything that I gleaned that I found incredibly value with me, all that spiritual teaching and how to connect, you know, with, with ourselves and with life and to live in harmony and be in harmony with things and to generate peace and all of this. Um, so that all, that, that was all nourishment and food that, you know, I would all always draw upon. So there are lots of things that carried me through. And what led you to do yoga, to become a yoga trainer or yoga instructor to begin with? Well, I, I was always seeking, you know, and I, I thought the answer was likely in a church. So ever since I was, especially in high school, and that's when I really started looking because we were getting a little older then, you know, myself and my peers. And, and I could tell, I could look around, I could see other kids who were feeling the same thing. And so and, I interrupt you. What, so what time period? Are we talking about the, the 1960s? Uh, well, I uh, see, I started San Monica High School in 1954. Okay. Situated in 57. So it was around the time when I was getting to be junior, senior, that I was really getting super introspective. Uh, I was, I knew I had a career cut out for me with professional baseball. And because uh, I was already playing with the local Chicago White Sox semi-pro team here local in L.A., and, uh, but I knew that there was something missing. So I was looking, going to various churches and, and the camaraderie, 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 camaraderie was great. <laughs> and, and of course they were beautiful, uh, you know, truth, universal truths that, you know, I was put in touch with through the churches, but it wasn't quite satisfying to me until later on. When I was living on the beach in Malibu, paying $100 a month right on the water with oh a big condo, it was just incredible. $100 a month? Yeah. Wow, and, I can't even imagine. Oh, God, I loved it. That a stairway that went down to the beach. I had my spear at that time. I did a lot of spear fishing and stuff, and I'd get all my fresh food from the ocean, and I'd surf and play volleyball on the beach. And had more friends than I ever had in my life because they're living more my way. I was closer to nature now. I thought I wouldn't have as many friends living out there in Malibu, but uh, I actually I had more. But uh, anyway, I was went up to meet a friend on the beach uh, to play volleyball. And he was laying there and he was just closing a book. I said, oh, what do you got there? He said, oh, it's a book on yoga. And he said, here, take it. It's a good book. So we played our volleyball. I took the book home and I started to read it and I thought, holy moly, this is, it's just like resonates all of these universal truths about harmony and peace and love and how to be in the world, equality and all this stuff. And it was said in such a beautiful way. And it, at the end of the book, it, it uh, suggested that I find a place to practice, you know, on a regular basis. So I went all over L.A. looking checking out all these different places. And honestly, I didn't feel really comfortable in any of them, but one of them much more so than the others. And that's and all the guys, they had long hair and they had long beards and, and nice loose clothing. And here I was a business guy with my style here. I had plenty of hair at the time. <laughs> my tie. Were you in insurance? In, in it, were you in insurance at the time? Was that your business? Yes. Yes, I was. I think that was 60, 
Uh, this must have been around 69, somewhere in the late 60s. Yeah, Summer I, of Love, right? All the beards and the long hair. Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't uh, appropriate uh, for my insurance business at that time. I started the insurance in 66, so... And I think this uh, particular yogi came to L.A. around '69. That's about the time that we're meeting in a in an old in a uh, antique shop, actually, up on Melrose uh, in Robertson, in L.A. And uh, and the, that buddy was nice. I, I and I was so into the yoga, it didn't bother me. I mean, I figured, hey, they may think I'm a jerk coming in here like this, but I don't care. This is great stuff, and. And but they seemed very friendly, and and I kept coming back, and and guess what? As time went by, little by little, my hair started growing, and uh, then my beard, and then I started wearing really more appropriate loose clothing, you know, nice cotton loose stuff, and then I was wearing sandals, and and I knew I needed to pick up my. Uh, my business production because I knew the company wouldn't like it. So I did. I actually became one of the top producers in my district for quite a few years, really. Were you kind of straddling these two worlds? I mean, were you like then going and putting on a suit to be to do your insurance business or? Did no, you no. I, I at that time, I, I had established it's pretty it's very steady production. And I wasn't really I was, of course, I was concerned, but I wasn't uh, I just figured my production is so good, they're not going to harass me. And uh, so I just continued what I felt was right. I just kept my nice loose clothing, sometimes my shorts, my sandals, my long hair, and uh, and uh, just kept doing that until I decided to leave the insurance business. You know, I, I think, uh, yeah, I was with that company for approximately 12 years. And then I continued maybe for four years after selling insurance. But, but um, no, I, I, uh, I didn't do any switcheroo. It was like just it gave me consistency of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be regardless of what I was doing. So I was doing insurance and, you know, it, and, and I, I, it just had me hone in on coming from the heart more than I ever was before in whatever I was doing. And I guess the whole world was changing so much at that time, too. I, it's interesting, you know, for those of us who weren't alive then, to look at it now, it seems like such a time of, you know, social upheaval and people kind of experiencing this great awakening. And did it feel like that when you were transitioning to this world? Did you feel like the rest of the world around you was going through this monumental shift? Or is that something that we project now, you know, looking back on that time period? Well, what I found was that all of that diminished because it's like, you know, I'd hear about and I did listen to the news. I wasn't as attuned to it then as I am now. Um, but I would hear about the stress and the news and, and, and I know they're going on and, and those things happen in our own personal lives, too. But my, my attitude was kind of like, what stress? What? You know, this is life is so easy in a sense. It's like it's beautiful. It's like I would just be so full, so filled up with goodness from the, the mental, emotional, spiritual and physical practice of things and living life with purpose, you know, in in, in assisting people. And, you know, like, uh, I know um, 
insurance gets poo-pooed a lot, just like a lot of things where, yeah, it, it, it needs to be. But if a person is giving people what they want and what they need and, they, and they're saving money, I think that's doing a good thing. So uh, I just felt like it, it was good. It's, it's like we just need to take care of ourselves and our perimeter of, of influence. You know, and that, that's our world. If we start spreading ourselves out too much, then, then I think everything diminishes, especially home base, especially our own physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health. So I'm all for let's start at home base. And then, you know, it's that old acronym. It's like we give from the overflow, you know, and then it's teaching everyone around us, not so much by words, and, but, but more by actions, and then that's that's our our way of giving. And that that's my the core of my life is just to live the life, live the life as much as possible. And uh, that's that's what uh, that's what that yoga was a huge huge contributor to that. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And I guess what I was driving at with the question about social upheaval is that what I mean is you know this this was a time in history where. Before this, everyone lived seemingly very conventional lives, you know, and and everyone, it's like the, the post-World War II baby boom, and every, there's suburbia, and then all of a sudden you have, you know, Rachel Carson and her book Silent Spring and the birth of the environmental movement and the civil rights movement and, you know, people living in communes and, and the whole world shifted. And what I guess I was just asking is, you know, because you're having this real journey too, where you're doing yoga and and you're, you know, gradually becoming, you know, wearing looser clothing. And I, I just was wondering if you felt this urgency all around you, you know, were you aware that there was this giant, did it feel as monumental as it does looking back? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like paradoxical, Jennifer. It's like I did, but I wasn't stressed by it because my life was so full and overflowing with participating in life to transform the world. And it reminds me of something that Wayne Dyer said. Um, you know, sometimes we hear these different people, some, some things that sometimes will have a dream and it just, they're easy to remember. It was something like uh, we, have, we have a choice on how we want to spend our energy. We can spend our energy either fighting against something we don't like or fighting for something that we that we want to, you know, put forth. I don't even know if fighting is the right word, but I think the choice there is that I, I, I was spending so much of my time, and I'm this is still my focus, on there's so much good stuff to put my energy into to why you don't notice as much or, or, or at least we're we don't we're not as vulnerable to being brought down by the negative energy that's happening. It's not like we're putting our head in the sand. It's the opposite of that. We're quite aware, but we're very active, participating in transmuting all of that, transmuting it and transcending it. Can you explain that a little more for people who aren't familiar with those terms? Well, guys, let's. Uh, um, 
Like in, you know, like when you look at the modern world now, you know, when you look at the life we're living in Los Angeles and yeah. how does, you know, how does that translate to what you look around you? And like, what do you see now when you look at how most people are living their lives? And I know we talked before about this idea of, uh, you call it undistractable or indistract indistractable attention? Indistractable. Yeah. Indistractable attention. And so, you know, what, what's your perception of what we're experiencing right now in terms of how people are tuning in or tuning out and. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I see it like an energy thing. Like, you know, it, it's, it's like a constant. It's like we always, it's moment to moment, like microsecond to microsecond. It's, it's, a, it's a choice. It's like if I hear something that Trump says, for example, that I'll, I'll just instantly go into like a thought, like an energy to, to neutralize that negative thing that he's putting out there and not thinking of him as some other or as an enemy, but thinking of him as a family member, as a brother. I'm remembering that there is no other. There is only us and everything. And we're all family. And I love all of us unconditionally regardless of what they say and do. That doesn't mean I like them or I like what they're doing, but I recognize them as an emanation of the creator of creation. And what we need here is healing. And that's where I'm putting my energy, is towards the healing of prayer for Donald Trump or whoever. It's just like my own situation when I was going through the heat of the pain. I mean, I think of it almost like alchemy. Some people might relate to to that term, where you're literally, that that's a form of trans, making something like, what did they do? They made the, what did they made? They made something into gold. To me, it, it doesn't matter what they made into gold. They transformed something, and I feel it, or transmuted it. They can, you, we can do this with our mind, with our ideas, with our thoughts. And when we do this from the heart, from a real pure place with, with no ego involvement, then I get the instant satisf satisfaction, the instant gratification of just living in this pure place, regardless of the circumstances. It doesn't matter. Um, we have a purpose here. And uh, circumstances, situations, very unpleasant ones come up. But it's like we're here to assist. That's the way I see us. We're, we're all here to grow into this, the way I see it, to grow into this mindset and then activate it. Knowing is one thing. That's only half. The knowing isn't really going to do any good if we don't put it into action. Talk about your Aboriginal skills class then and the work that you're actually doing. Yeah, because we're so surrounded with superficiality. I feel like like the Aboriginal skills classes, or you could call them Indigenous skills classes, they uh, they get us connected in a very nitty gritty way. It's just us and Mother Nature. You know the way that that practically all of other life lives, and uh, and actually the way all of our ancestors lived, just real close to Mother Nature. So I find it just incredibly, gosh, I, I was going to say valuable, but I thought a word that might even come before that is necessary, you know, to reestablish this connection with Mother Earth and all that she has to offer. I mean, just to, 
so a thought just popped into my mind. Look, look at plants, for example, especially large plants like trees, and but all of the plants. So I, I ask people, especially when I have the kids out there, what do you think these plants are doing for us right now? What do they? A lot of times the kids get it. They'll say, giving us oxygen. And I'll say, well, yeah, and how long do you figure that a person can live without oxygen? And they'll have their ideas and... And then I'll say, yeah, you know, about three minutes until most people start having really serious issues. Uh, of course, we have our deep sea, you know, sponge divers and world record holders. They can just go and I think somebody is a half an hour, incredibly. But on average. Yeah, that's little, not most people. <laughs> no, no, no. Most people after three minutes are going to start having serious health issues. And, and they're going to die not long after that from lack of oxygen. So look at what that isn't this enough reason to just really connect with these plants and never look at them the same before these plants. We're not here. We don't have a life without, as we know it. We don't have a life without these plants. I automatically love these plants just because of that one thing. And then we'll start taking a, a plant walk, you know. I usually start classes by saying, you know, we we teach and we practice a lot of skills a lot of primitive skills here and they're all great and i consider every one of them a pathway to a deeper relationship with our natural environment and with ourselves and when i say a deeper relationship i'm talking about like i said we're all people and we i see us as as the plant people being a part of our family, the animal, the rock people, like we mentioned before. Everything is energy, so everything is alive and everything responds to our energy, our frequency. Then we ask ourselves, what kind of frequency do I want to put out there? What kind of response do I want? I mean, it, it's pretty simple, you know, and, and I find out that when I choose to put out the kind of energy, that the, the energy of compassion, of unconditional love, it's like instantaneous. It's like I'm in a good place. I'm in a beautiful world. And uh, so that, that's kind of the way we start our class. I don't maybe get into that much detail with it. But then we start walking and we start meeting some of the plants. And instead of uh, the usual uh, walk like most people do most of their lives and like I've done most of my life, I didn't really get into this until my early to mid-50s, and I'm 78 now. But uh, they, uh, most of us walk past the plants and, and sometimes actually get bored. Yeah, it's nice being out in nature, but sometimes <laughs> actually get bored out there. But once you start learning about the plants, oh, this plant I can use for medicine for this or for that. Oh, this plant is great food. Oh, this plant, I can make my uh, my container out of this. I can make my basket out of this. I can make this. I can make that. As a matter of fact, I can make everything from the plants because that's what was done for so many thousands of years by our ancestors. And we're developing, we're not just looking at it as, as a piece of material. We're looking at it as a relative. So we're so careful in how we handle these plants and how we harvest. We're very mindfully and we love these items and, and we're just kind of repurposing them to a limited degree and uh, it, uh, whatever we make whether it's a basket a musical instrument a bow and an arrow or whatever it, it's literally a family member we have real relationship 
with this item that we just co-created with Mother Nature. And uh, I have these things all over my place where I live. I took all the other stuff that I got from the store out and everything that I have that I'm looking at that's sitting on a piece of furniture or hanging on the wall. I remember the, the memories and I feel the energy of the plant and, and the people that I was with and the whole thing. And this just carries through when we're out in the wild and when, when we're at home. It's just and this is the way it was. People came back to their huts or whatever, their dwellings. And it's just uh, reconnecting in a very meaningful, uh, beautiful way. It's so satisfying. Yeah, I really I really think that the listening to you talk about how there's such meaning behind all these things, I really think the root of materialism in the modern world is that we just don't make things anymore. Because when you make things, you care about them and you realize you don't need like a hundred shoes or baskets like you only need the one that you made yeah uh exactly because uh i i kind of lost my thought there but no we you... were just talking about how you have these things around your home and and the care and the thought that goes behind making all these things and that's how people did it for most of our existence and i was just saying you yeah. know that that we live such materialistic lives and there's so many people who just you know, they just can't help it. They just, there's this need to buy more and more things. And I think it's because, and just from my own experience, now that I've gotten to this world and I'm starting to make baskets with my girls and learning about what plants are edible. And when we forage figs, we eat all of them. Like we don't let any of those go to waste because it right. was so exciting to get them that like, why would yeah. we just throw that in the garbage? And so right. I think when you experience it and you do it, you, you're not as wasteful. So, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, don't waste anything. This is what really helps you hone in. And this is really a big thing with me. You realize you don't want to waste. Why would you want to waste anything? And this really comes to light. A good example is when you're doing the primitive uh, hand drill or, or bow and drill making your fire. Yeah. And I'll give the example of a lot of people do it on a warm day in perfect wood and this and that. And it's relatively easy. Uh, once you got the technique to get your ember and get your, your primitive fire going. But let's say, and I've been in these situations many times, where maybe you're up at 10,000 feet and there's not as much oxygen up there. And uh, let's say it's nighttime, it's really dark. And not only that, it's really cold. And in addition to that, you are wet and shivering and it's starting to rain or maybe snow. And now you have to get your ember so you can get a fire and keep yourself alive and maybe if anybody's with you um, keep them alive too and so you realize that's why i say you want to practice good habits you don't want to waste any energy when you're doing this because you may need every little ounce of energy you've got to get that emperor and that's exactly where it's at sometimes you save this little tiny bitty bit of sawdust that you got in the beginning that you were just typically toss away. No, no, no. You put that little bit in your tinder bundle as a little bit of extra because that little bit might just be the little bit that saves your life. And we don't practice fear at all, Jennifer. It's just that that's just to illustrate the point that practice good habits because it doesn't take any more effort. And then it's just automatic. You learn how to do things in a very efficient way, and it just becomes, you know, automatic when you're in difficult situations or when you're very pleasant and you just enjoy. We just have a blast making, doing our fire, you know. But 
Yeah, when you're making your own stuff, because we're in a throwaway society pretty much, when you're making your own stuff, you spend three days or four days tanning a hide to make your clothing or to make some beautiful items from a deer hide that the hunter didn't want because they just want the meat for food. And we take those hides and make beautiful things out of them. And and anything, you when you make a basket or uh, whatever it is you make, it's, it's like your heart and soul is a part of that. And you, it's just, you don't want to waste it. I mean, and, and it doesn't matter. There's no judgment. I certainly advocate this. Like, I used to be so embarrassed when I'd start making uh, a basket. and <laughs> It didn't look anything like a basket. And But now when I teach myself and I see people doing the same thing, they get a little embarrassed. And, and uh, I just remind that it's all beautiful, you know, and it's all a, a phase and a process. Some people had prior experience. Some people just have the aptitude to do this right away. And others like me, they're much slower and it takes a while. But it's all good. It's all perfect. It's all beautiful. And every basket, it's just uh, I love it when the students do things better and much better than me. But uh, it's, uh, it's all beautiful because that's the way nature is. I just have to remind, look at a tree. Hardly anything is symmetrical. Not that anything is wrong with symmetrical. But every basket, the funkiness of them, I, the funkier, the better, the more I love them. Yeah, I have a pretty funky first basket that I made her <laughs> in <laughs> August. But I love it. I do. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, Tell us about, so who are some of the people coming to these classes? Well, what I like about it is uh, it's pretty much a full spectrum. I certainly make it, try to make it obvious that it's open to have absolutely everybody, you know, uh, of all ages and, uh, you know, and in some of the classes, any physical condition, because sometimes there are just sit around camp you know and we're just working on projects there but other than the to go to the other end of the spectrum some of the classes are kind of intense where we'll go maybe sometimes full primitive and other times semi-primitive camp outs you know just for an overnight or two sometimes and what does that mean full primitive for people who don't know when when you're talking about camping well maybe we might go without excuse me we might go without a backpack or without sleeping gear, or without food, or maybe just minimal food. We might bring some nut seeds, a little jerky, or you know, snack type foods. Um, no, no uh, headlamps, and um, no air mattresses, no camping chairs. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what most people bring for a camping trip. Yeah, well, it's pretty neat too because it. Uh, Hold that thought, because that reminded me of something recent that, that you might find interesting and entertaining. But uh, so anyway, uh, so we'll just maybe harvest our um, fire making items from the uh, from the woods and uh, we'll make our our campfire. And then we'll, um, if it's a safe place, and fire safety is huge with me. I totally emphasize fire safety. We never do anything that's not safe with fire. We make sure the conditions are right, and, or we make the conditions right for safe fire. So sometimes we'll just sleep around the campfire. 
if it happens to be a warm summer night, we may not even need that, but often we do, especially in the winter, and just cuddle around the, the fire campfire and um, and do that, and then we might harvest um, you know some wild foods, some wild greens, maybe some mushrooms, and uh, you know maybe catch a couple of fish sometimes and cook them on the campfire, you know things like that. I uh, saw an, I saw in one of your Facebook posts I think a pretty delicious looking porridge you made one morning. <laughs> I think it was in a, in a hand carved bowl too. Well, it, 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 well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll have to kind of tone that down a little bit. It was a gourd, so that was pretty easy uh, to make. You know, you just ream out the insides of the gourd, and you and you got your bowl. But sometimes reaming it out can be a bit of a, a job, but it's fun and it's a great relationship you're creating now with your your eating bowl. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> yeah, we have those bowl making classes that are a lot of fun. And the porridge that was in it, I can't really take much credit. I think that was oatmeal. All right. So you probably didn't forage that, but <laughs> no, <I didn't laughs> it looks very rustic. Yeah, yeah. But I did have my bison spoon. We we did uh, have a – that this was at the Boulder Outdoor Door Survival School where we – one of the guys uh, did shoot the uh, bison with his handmade bow and arrow, and then we harvested the bison in the field. And then we uh, made things from all parts, everything imaginable, from the hair to the bones to the intestines. And um, Where and was this? Sorry. Tell us about in, that. In Utah. Oh, in Utah. And what's it called? <clears throat> that was uh, Boulder Outdoor Survival School. Okay. And, and you teach there or you were taking a course there? No, I've gone there for about 13 years in a row taking courses. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that was one of their courses. Uh, but anyway, I did have that bison spoon, I think, in that photo, one of the items I made from the leg bone of the bison. Wow, that's amazing. Speaking of things you would not throw away. Yeah, and speaking of, of hunting, I'll, maybe just a quickie here. I guess you're getting off the subject, but I totally do not enjoy, I do not advocate hunting for fun or excitement I minimize my hunting gigantically. I don't like killing animals. I mean, it's almost the same thing as with plants. Everything is done with the greatest possible reverence and appreciation and value. And with the very, uh, if we, we, we strive to do it with the least possible pain. And, um, just speaking of the bison and so on. it's uh, And so I do have that bison spoon. It's with me all the time. And the remembrance of that beautiful animal and the spirit of that animal is always with me. Boy, these things are never, never taken lightly. Not like me. Not by me. And that's what I advocate. And that's what I teach in any animal processing classes that we do. Or sometimes we will do a minimal, maybe a, um, a primitive rabbit hunt where somebody has some too many rabbits uh, kind of destroying their their crop, you know, something like that. Or occasionally we'll take field mice out on a primitive camp trip, you know, and things like that. But it's all done with the greatest respect and reverence, and, and we minimize it as much as possible. And so uh, then how do you bring that into your day-to-day -day life in L.A.? Because... You know, we live in such a... Well, do you live in, in the center of, like, urban Los Angeles, or are you somewhere on the outskirts? 
No, I'm not on the outskirts. I'm actually uh, in Santa Monica. Oh, you're in Santa Monica. So like, how do you, I mean, let's just talk about diet, for instance. Like, how do you, are you in a place where you can actually fish on a regular basis? Or do you go to the farmer's market regularly? Like, how do you balance these worlds where you're doing Aboriginal skills and trapping sometimes, but of course, with, you know, the utmost mindfulness, but then how does that translate into your day to day life and, and what you eat? Like, what, what does your diet look like? Well, that, that's getting back to that point. That question you asked is how does this tie in, you know, the classes with, with, you know, with people getting connected. We were talking about being out there and you're just totally, you, you, we need to accept what nature provides us. So sometimes if we're out there primitive, uh, nature just doesn't uh, provide, not that it doesn't want to, it's just not available at that time. There might not be fruits, berries, nuts, seeds, other foods that we might eat, um, or they may be very minimally available, whatever it is. And we accept that, which brings me to one of the other very, sorry, I'm jumping around a lot. No, I love it. Please. You but, have, you have uh, so much to tell us. <laughs> this call well, isn't nearly enough time. Yeah, it, it comes to an acronym that I love to use, PMA. Um, shall I ask you what, I love to ask people what they think PM, PMA might refer to. It's an acronym that I use. When you're out there in the woods, I, I say, now, here we are. Let's imagine it's us, just us. And we're in the wilderness. We got dropped off, say, by helicopter someplace. And we're miles from anything. And we're here for days, weeks, months, whatever. What do you figure would be the most valuable item tool that we have with us right now that, that's really, really valuable and essential? Please meet another. I don't even know. <laughs> Something about it, it, it's, your, the collective knowledge. I don't know. What does it stand for? It's not one of the nuts and bolts types of things. P, positive. M, mental. A, attitude. Positive mental attitude. Positive mental attitude is something that you will need if, if, it, if, you, if it's your last breath if it, you, you know hey there's no way i'm getting out of here i'm out of food i'm out of water i'm out of energy and uh, nobody's around this is it where am i going to go i'm going to go to that place that i was talking about in the beginning yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully there were no gaps hopefully i'm just staying in this beautiful place this center where where the essence my essence cannot be harmed that's where i'm going to hang out and it's going to be a beautiful, you know, it's going to be a beautiful time. Yeah, I might even have physical pain and so on. But that, that, that pos positive mental attitude. Oh, for example, okay, this reminds me of uh, a recent camp out. I took a lady friend. I really needed a rest uh, because I had a pretty intense class. Uh, it was fun. It was total blast. But. I needed to rest up. I was preparing for that class. I hadn't had much sleep before the class. And my energy was low. I was feeling great. But, boy, I'm looking forward to getting up to these eastern Sierras with this friend of mine. And uh, we're just going to relax. It's going to be a car camp thing. You know, so we're going to bring a bunch of food, a bunch of fresh food. You know, we're going to cook up fruits and vegetables and all kinds of stuff. 
And and bring lots of comforts, you know, the comfy air mattress and big, fluffy uh, sleeping bags and tent and all this stuff to haul. But it's not going to be a big deal because we'll pull right into a car camp place. Well, here we go. We get up there. We pull in. And uh, here's a real energetic guy we meet, and I'm having a nice conversation. I figure, yeah, we got plenty of time. And, oh, look at this spot right open, right next to the lake, just a few feet away. Man, this is phenomenal. And then he, the, the guy says, oh, yeah, I don't think you can use that. that that's for picnic only. you got to go up the trail <laughs> here. <laughs> and, oh, no. Um, that's not what I needed, you know, because uh, I'm out of energy. I'm still weak. I'm trying to recuperate, you know. And uh, so then, lo and behold, the big dark clouds come in. Next thing you know, it's pouring down rain and then oh no like snow and i had my sandals on you know my open sandals and my lady friend did too and we're oh i couldn't believe it not only do i have to walk all that ways up the hill but i got a they had a wheelbarrow there he said i'll be finished with this wheelbarrow (laughs) about seven loads up there and my feet numb i couldn't feel my and my hands were numb and i was wiped out and tying up a tarp, lashing it up in the wind and the rain. <laughs> so you forged ahead. You decided to take everything up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Because to me, honestly, I, I was so much more concerned for my, my lady friend than I for myself. Because, you know, that's just kind of like a day in the woods for me, really. I mean, I didn't need that because I, I was really wiped out. But still, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so acclimated to that type of thing. We would get caught in stuff like that in the wild, and we wouldn't have any bed. All we'd have is we'd bring a wool blanket with us and a poncho, and that's pretty much it. And we would just lie down, got hailed on and snowed just like that. I'd, I'd tuck underneath a big tree, and I'd button up my, uh, my poncho all the way, and I'd completely get my body in there and just spend the night, you know get up the next day and everything was fine but anyway it wasn't that's amazing it wasn't quite that way for her and uh i was really concerned about her but then we got in the tent we were in our sleeping bags and and uh and i think she asked me the question like one of the questions like like you it's like because i was kind of describing things like Oh, look at this beautiful design on the side of the tent wall where where some of the pine needles had dropped and it's like silhouetted against the tent wall. It just made the most incredible patterns. And she said, oh, that's just amazing that you can, you know, think of things like that at a time like this, you know. (laughs) And I, I was thinking, I didn't say it, but it's amazing to me that you're not because... I mean, that, that's just like full time for me, you know. And she said, is there anything else you can think of that would be good right now? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm really thankful for this tent that we're in, you know, keeping us dry and the fly that's on top of it. And, and I'm really thankful for that tarp that we put down underneath the tent because it's ensuring just in case there were little pinholes in the tent that we don't get soaked. And I'm really thankful for that corrugated pad that we put underneath <laughs> bags to keep us insulated and it just in case some dampness got in and i'm really thankful for our air mattresses that are giving us this nice cushion that extra warmth 
and I'm really thankful for these huge sleeping bags we have. It's like like home. They're just amazing, you know. And I said, all of that is just amazing. And she really tuned in, and she said, yes, yeah, that's wonderful. Me too. You know, she really tuned into it. So what about people who are listening to this? Because I, Jim, I love everything you're saying. And <laughs> when I leave this call, I'm going to be in such a, <laughs> such a positive, wonderful place. But you know, the day to day of most people's lives is as much as you want to feel that, and as much as you want to have indistractable attention and be able to tune in, you know, we're constantly being pulled out. And for me, I'm constantly being pulled out because I live in a place that I don't want to live in. You know, I, I want to be somewhere that's more immersed in nature. And I live in a very, you know, hectic, non naturey part of LA. And so what do you what do you say to someone who wants to tap into that place more, but, you know, struggles with it? Or do you have any advice for our listeners and for me? Okay, the first one that comes to mind is get out there. Okay, because when you go out there, you don't leave it out there. You bring it home. When you say go out there, you mean go out in nature. Exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. Exactly. Go out into nature. And yeah, your local park is fine. But, you know, like I used to walk a lot years ago in, in Santa Monica in this beautiful Palisades Park. And, you know, with all the trees. And the I know where that is. Yeah. That's nice. But, you know, it takes me a few more minutes to get up into the Santa Monica Mountains to one of our local trails. And then you can find side trails. If you want to be by yourself, you can totally be by yourself. It's just a matter of minutes, and it's worth the extra time. And and don't just do it once in a while. Make it a regular thing. And and the results are cumulative. It's just like new food nutrition or or water nutrition or your, your liquids. It's cumulative. And we need it. R recognize it is a priority for our health. So when you say regular, do you mean once a week? Obviously, you're doing it more than most people because this is your your work and your joy and your everything. But <clears throat> yeah, do you have a recommendation, like <laughs> a couple well, days a week? As soon as possible is a recommendation. To be honest with you, I'm not doing it as much now as I used to just because I'm on a new thing. Maybe we can talk about this another time or just personally offline now. Uh, is is the eating situation i'm spending so much time preparing foods these days and totally enjoying it that i don't have the time to get out there as much but yeah as much every day if possible and 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 do it with not do it both ways by yourself you need that time in nature by yourself and ideally, in a nature spot where there's not a manicured trail necessarily or people walking all over the place, ideally, just real wild stuff and by yourself, some there. And then some definitely with people. You need to be in nature with people also, both ways. I find that really necessary. And then when you do that, you bring that home. And that just it just neutralizes those stresses. You're just... You're just so full. You're full of good stuff. And uh, that's why people are filling themselves up with all kind of crap, you know, everything from sex to entertainment. to. I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. There's good sex. There's good entertainment. But, I mean, overloading and drugs and alcohol and smoking and all this stuff to try and get some sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. I'm telling people that nature will do it and especially get into classes like mine because we really focus on the value of these things. We're not just skimming over the top. We're, we're going in deep. 
Yeah, you know? and it's it's it's, in, it's interesting that people think of it too as this time in nature as a benefit, but really I think of it as the opposite. We're experiencing all this addiction and anxiety and depression and suicides because the way we're living is a void of the way the norm. You know, the norm was that we used to live this way. This isn't a benefit. And now Which, we're on the other side of it and and yeah. wondering why we feel so horrible. And so Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I mean it's important that maybe if people think of it as a benefit that that if it gets them out there, fine. But I always kind of chuckle when you see like books come out that are like the benefits of nature and spend 15 minutes because of course. Yeah. But yet I have to have you remind me to go do that. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I need reminders all the time and I get them all the time. And and, and the thing about making your own stuff and, and valuing it and harvesting your own food and eating it, they, I call it living full circle. You know, you're, you're doing the whole thing. You're harvesting it, you're processing it, you're eating it, or you're making the item and you're using the item. It's from start to finish. And so you appreciate things. You don't waste things. We live in a throwaway culture kind of, and, and you're not, now you don't throw things away. And you don't throw away your own energy. You value yourself more and your own energy. Every instant, every, every aspect of it, everything, value is enhanced when you do things like this and reconnect with nature like this. Everything is enhanced. And if you don't have time to go out into nature, um, you can just sit down in a chair and quietly and close your eyes for 30 seconds and reconnect with things like that and bring it right back to what you're doing. You know, so. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so spend time in real true nature, not just parks. Make more things with your hands and take 30 seconds or 30 minutes and kind of quiet space. Anything else? A real good one, a, a restaurant that I like locally. If they have a question for the day, maybe you've been to that place. No. In, in Venice, they have a question for the day and they say, would you like us to, would you like to have our question for the day? And I say, yeah, of course. Okay, when is the best time to love? And then the, the waiter or waitress leaves. And... Uh, so I said, oh, instantaneous to my friend that I was sitting with. I said, oh, it's instantaneous. So how about you saying, oh, I got to think about it for a while. And, uh, well, I said, uh, well, it's instantaneous for me. You, you want to hear my answer to when is the best time to love? She said, yeah, well, right now. It's always now. And I'm thinking about the ultimate love. I'm talking about all unconditional love. I'm not talking about just family love or friendship love or romantic love. I'm talking about the one that covers everything. Unconditional love. The time is now. Always. Always stay there. If we stay there, see, I contend it's not so much where we live, it's how we live. Are you there, Jennifer? I am. I was just taking in oh. what you said. Thank you, Jim. It's Yeah. What a joy it's been to, to speak with you today. Oh, yeah, it's just a blast talking with you. Uh, and and like, like I said, a lot of things set the tone for me along the way early in my life. And I just continue to draw from them. And also for you, because I went online and saw what you do. So I already had a deep connection and relationship with you and total admiration and value of what you do. Um, it's just... Um, I love it. So it's just been the greatest pleasure. Thank you, Jim. That means so much to me. And I'm really looking forward to attending a couple of your classes sometime <laughs> soon. And 
hopefully with my girls as well. I know they'll love it. Uh, definitely. So where can people who maybe live outside of Los Angeles get in touch with you if they want to connect? And people, you know, tell us about how people can learn more about your classes. Yeah, the easiest way, if people don't have time to jot anything down, would just go to aboriginalskills.com. And that will take you to my website. <clears throat> Although the website is not, um, not, it's not current, it has information on it. And right there, there's a tag. You can just click on the tag. It says, for current information, click here, and that'll take you to my Meetup uh, website. And all the current information is there. So that's the quickest way, just aboriginalskills.com. Um, and I also have a Meetup website, uh, Aboriginal Skills. And, um, yeah, that's that's it. I guess those two two websites. Great. Oh, and you also, I should mention, you do have a great Facebook page of people. Could you answer questions if people post a question on that page? Oh, that's right. Yeah, definitely. Um, ask me a question on the Facebook page, friend me on Facebook, or um, join my meetup group and ask me questions there. Or I could give my email address, too. Um, that's just um, jimrobertson at aboriginalskills.com. That's wonderful, Jim. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back on the show. I know you have a lot more to talk about. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking with you again. And my voice isn't always this scratchy. It is sometimes, but anyway. Well, in all fairness, I've, you've been, I've been having you talk for a long time, and we had technical difficulties in the beginning. <laughs> so you've been very patient, and I'm, I imagine your voice is tired. <laughs> <laughs> I feel great, Jennifer, energized with this conversation with you. Thank you for listening all the way through this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I just wanted to add something that Jim sent after we recorded this episode. He said he wanted to add to his advice about getting out in nature, um, about the importance of getting out in real nature, not just parks. And he said that in retrospect, that was pretty good advice, but not satisfactory for him. So I will just read what he wrote. I would rather say... Strive to live from your heart center, non-ego place, every single moment. This will surely bring peace of mind at the very least. So if you want to know more about Jim's classes, but live outside of Los Angeles, I will be attending some of his classes later this winter, and I promise I will take photos and share what I learn on my Instagram page. If you don't follow me already, that handle, if you want to follow me, is at jennifergrayson one that's it from me. Our theme music is by Paul Damien Hogan, and I will be back next Monday with a new episode of the Uncivilized Podcast.